Hey, welcome to the Valerie King Show. I'm your host, Valerie King, where oversharing is welcome here. I am so excited to introduce you to my guest today. Uh, we've been friends for several years. We met through business networking, and I had I hadn't really met someone quite like Lou Silverman before. Um, I I mean, yeah. You when you when you think of a lawyer, what's the picture that pops into your head? And I I mean it can be I mean there's a billion lawyers out there I get that but uh, I want you to imagine someone who might not fit the mold that maybe you would put them in, and I can't anyway. <laughs> I've learned so much from I don't even know how to explain. Lou, this is why he needs to come on the show, and he's here waiting in the wings for me right now. And uh, all I can say is he is a fabulous, first of all, friend. He is a protector of people's assets. He is absolutely humble in his own right for being as good at what he does. I'm, I'm very impressed with his humility and his willingness to serve his community, his willingness to mentor those who he knows are up and coming in this world that are going to carry the torch for humanity later on. But the best part I think is since I've known him, he has created this insane love and infatuation for tie-dye. And I can't wait to talk to, uh, for you guys to understand how that has extrapolated into the world right now. And we need more of Lou Silverman. Lou, are you there? And can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can you hear okay? you fine. I'm going to take this headset <laughs> off. I think you can hear me without it. Can you? I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? And I'm not going to use the headset. We're fine. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. And for our for our audience, I'm in Boise, Idaho, and Lou is over. Are you in Tempe, technically, or are you in Mesa, technically? Are you Tempe? 100% Tempe, about four miles south of the ASU campus. Oh, perfect. Oh, that's a fun place to be. I love that. By the way. So, Silver. Oh, go ahead. The intro you just gave me, there's really no reason for me to say anymore because I'll screw it up. Everything you said, I'll just have to keep my mouth shut. So. No, 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 no. You need it wide open and you're going to do most of the talking here today just so you're fully aware of that, okay? Because the world needs to hear what you've got to say. Okay, so let's let's start. Share a little bit of your background. Um, like, why... Why be? Why did you want to be a lawyer? You haven't always been in estate planning. You had a, a major career before that ever happened. But talk, walk us through that to where you are now a little bit, and then I really want to talk about the way that you're kind of exploding in life right now. It's so fun to watch. Okay, go. You go. You're great. I, I love your uh, your intro there. I don't even know what to say to all that stuff. Um, I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. And I think that has a lot to do with my outlook on life. I was born in an area that was mostly Hispanic, so that I was really the minority growing up. Um, and so I've seen the world a lot of in a lot of times, sort of from that standpoint. That I saw a lot of poverty. I saw um, the difference between the classes being so drastic, you know, and uh, it just it sort of uh, shaped my heart that these are. People need help, you know. I mean, uh, I've never really associated myself 
with the uh, wealthy class. I've more associated myself with the, the underclass, and I've, and I've always kind of looked at myself to be a, a, a bit of an underdog. And so part of that is just, um, you know, wanting to really fight, you know, that I've got some music playing in the background. I got to shut that off or you're going to be hearing. You're going to be rock and roll in the background. I shut it off. <laughs> so um, the reason that I became a lawyer has a lot to do with, with genes. My dad was a lawyer. Now, my dad was an active practicing lawyer in El Paso. And my mom went to law school too. She graduated law school from the university or Brooklyn Law School in 1937. So both parents no. were lawyers, but my dad, my dad was the active one. My mom, like Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg, was unable to get a job as a lawyer when she graduated because she was a woman in 1937. So, she, but she ended up getting a job as a buyer for a large department store in New York. And for that era, she lived a pretty high life. She traveled to the different department stores on the East Coast as a buyer um, or, you know, for um, merchandise. And um, she really had a nice lifestyle. She never practiced law. So that's the bottom line. In 1975, I had graduated college. I sold real estate for a short time here in Tempe area, and I really didn't like it. Uh, for some reason or another, I just felt like I really wanted a profession. Um, and that's that's the point that I chose to go to law school. So 1976 is when I started law school. Just give you that, that brief background. I did not know that about your mother. I knew a little yeah. bit about your dad, but you've never talked about your mom before. And with the passing of of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg right now, that is really interesting. Um, that they, had, relation. they had a very parallel situation. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I don't know when she graduated law school, probably, you know, 10 years after my mom. Maybe she graduated in the later four, something like that. But they had an exactly similar situation except that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was able to break the barrier and, and went into law while my mother just, when she couldn't get a job, she just chose to a different avenue. So then after my mom, and then, okay. and then check this out for talking about drastic life change. She, my dad was a, a lawyer in El Paso and pretty much lived there a good chunk of his life. And she came out because she had a brother in El Paso. She came out to visit her brother from New York and um, met my dad on a blind date. And they ended up corresponding a lot. Then the, then the war came and my dad went into the military in about 1944. He got out of the military in 46 and they got married and she moved to El Paso. So talk about a drastic change of life from Brooklyn, New York to moving to El Paso in 1946. And then she became a mom pretty quickly. And so from that point on, she was a mom for you know 25 years. And, and then later she went into real estate. So huh. there you go. Did she like it better than you did? Yeah, she did, was very good at it. She really did. But again, she had developed over that many years um, a pretty good contact you know, group in El Paso where um, 
she was she was pretty it was pretty easy for her to get referrals and um, she treated all of her clients like a Jewish mother. You know, she mothered them to death. So I think people were really enamored by the service that they got from her. But um, so yeah, she was really good at it. When you were watching that, you know, as she was, were you around as she was doing that? And is that kind of, did you, did you draw from that? Because I look at what you're talking about right now, how she would mother clients and, and really built a clientele because they probably could feel how much she cared. Did that rub off on you when you were like, yeah, real estate's not for me, but laws for me. And what I see now, what you're doing in your own community, uh, as a lawyer and with your mentoring and you're you've got your fingers in so many different pots there in Tempe um, yeah. just mentoring and, and teaching and serving and and guiding the like the another generation did that have anything to do with it with your mom or or did you did you even think about it that way at all or is that just innate in your family and in your DNA yeah I would say it's a little bit more of an innate thing I saw my parents being you know, pretty involved in the community. And also my, my dad in his practice, uh, he he was fluent in Spanish, which in El Paso you pretty much have to be. And um, so I saw a lot of his practice was helping people that, you know, were not particularly, um, I don't know what the word would be, not wealthy would be an overstatement. You know, he took fees of $5, $10, $15, and, uh, you know, I just saw that sort of this was not they were not in the world to be wealthy. They were in the world to be to be comfortable and to help people. And that's just kind of how I saw it from that perspective. I have an interesting um, relic. I'm going to move for a second. Can't wait. Uh, I, I found this in my dad's um, stuff after he passed away. This is how he kept track of his uh, incoming legal fees. And then he would just handwrite. Let's see if I can get this. He would just handwrite, you know, the name of the person and the fee, you know, uh, $12, $4, $14. So it was just kind of interesting to see the work that he used to do for people and, you know, how little he got paid back in those days. But, of course, those were... That was a different time. That's where you could go buy a cup of coffee for a nickel, you know. So times have changed. Man alive. I think that's what an incredible heritage to draw from. Like that's huge. Yeah. So what what how long were you in El Paso and how where did you make that shift? Did you make the shift directly from El Paso over to Tempe? Or were was there uh, a, a path in between those two things? Well, I I went to um, undergrad at ASU, so yes, I went from El Paso to go to college at ASU. All my friends were going east to the University of Texas. Most of them, that's where they went. A few of them would go to Baylor and Texas A&M and places like that. And for some reason, I wasn't drawn to go that direction. Um, my sister had gone to ASU before me, and I came out to visit a few times, and unfortunately, it was in... March or January, and I love the weather, but I now, of course, I'm experiencing some of the worst summers in the world here, but um, I loved it, and I thought, what a nice place, so this is where I ended up coming to college. After college... At that time, oh, go ahead, yeah, go ahead, keep going. 
I was going to say after college and that very short real estate career, I traveled in Europe with a buddy for about three months. You know, I had that backpacking European experience that uh, I guess everybody ought to have at some point. I'd love to have another one today, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, we traveled around on trains and stuff like that. I was ready for law school. So that's when I got into law school. And that was in Houston. It was called South Texas College of Law. So that's where I went to law school. And, you know, it's funny because up until that point, I had considered myself extremely average, which I was, and I was very average. I had the, um, the desire to be athletic. I loved sports and I loved playing and I loved watching, but I just didn't have it. And I wasn't born with those genetics, you know, that kind of saddened me, to be honest with you. But I got into law school and I had a chip on my shoulder because I wasn't even sure I belonged. You know, you ever have that experience? You look around and you think, geez, these people were the top of their classes. They're smart. You know, a lot of them came from the East Coast. And and so I just, man, I studied harder than I have ever studied. And I, I graduated number six in my class. So that was... Nice. I felt quite an accomplishment and I proved to myself at that point that I could do it if I set out to do it. It may not come easy and, you know, but, but it could be done. And that's kind of given me that attitude in my entire life, to be honest with you. So isn't that the truth though, that the things that stretch you, I mean, I think that's amazing that you, you saw yourself that way. You're like, well, these guys are already head and shoulders above where I need to be, but that you pushed yourself in order to make that stretch to, to, to close that gap between where you thought you had to be and where you were. And I believe honestly, that that's all in your head. They may have had more education, but I think that grit is like 90% of winning at life is that desire and then putting in the work to achieve what that desire is, whether or not you think you're good at it or not. I think grit is huge. I think it's the work is huge. You, yeah. I mean, now could I be an NFL quarterback or let's say when I was 21 years old, could I have worked to become an NFL quarterback? Answer is no. That would have been a hundred percent unrealistic goal. So you have to set realistic, you know. Well, yeah, but but at the same time, like this helps me to have an understanding. You just started a podcast of your own, which I really want to talk about as well. But your first guess was what? An NFL quarterback. An NFL quarterback, (laughs) yeah. Well, so I'm like, that's yeah. why, because you're like, you're like, if I can't live the dream, I'm going to share other people's success with your dream. I get that now because I couldn't figure out. I'm like, that's a that's a fun first. It's like a really fun first guest. But now I understand why. That's really cool. You Plus, kinda, he's from where you're from. You guys have so much overlap. Yeah, he was a Cardinals quarterback for a short time and uh didn't really have a good team around him, so he didn't have much opportunity to succeed because of that. Although he'll never say that. He's a good, humble guy. Like, he'll never blame others for the fact that he had a short NFL career. Even though if he had had a really good team around him, like particularly an offensive line, he could still be playing. He's only 31 or 32. But he's got a great Mm -hmm. attitude about it. You know, you're a victim of your circumstances. I couldn't change that. My teammates were trying. And so I really got a lot out of that part of the interview that, you know, it's just the way it is sometimes, you know. So tell us a little bit about what's, what, 
What is your podcast going to be titled? Where can people find it? We're just going to, I want to, I want to talk about that right now, just a little bit. Well, and then, and then we'll keep going. Yeah. Share a little bit about your my, podcast. Well, my podcast career is in its infancy, Valerie. I'm not like you yet. You're, your, your head and shoulders above me in terms of your, your interview skills, your production skills, your technical skills. Like I'm seeing the Valerie King show is coming at me. It's like, wow, this is like being on the Ed Sullivan show or something like that. I have a production but, team behind me. That's not me. Boy, That's a, a fantastic did, did I just date myself when I said the Ed Sullivan show? Maybe I should have said the Jimmy Kimmel show. I'm sorry. Anyway, um, so I'm I'm in I'm a work in progress. I'm I'm going to call it tie dye dialogue. So I'm called the tie dye lawyer as a you know a friendly branding thing here. Uh, for the last four or five years, I I fell into tie dyeing. I was visit I was in Hawaii on the Big Island, and I wa wandered into a small shop in a very rural area of the Big Island where a fellow was uh, had a, had a tie-dye shop. And I started chatting with him and I walked into the back where he was doing his stuff, which was a back patio of, of a house. And I just got fascinated by watching him doing, I was seeing the tying and the pouring and the whole thing. And I came home and I bought a tie-dye kit from Michael's and I realized, well, that's probably enough to make half a t-shirt. So. I just went, did some research, found a company called Dharma Trading, and Dharma has a massive amount of tie-dye stuff. And I ordered, the first order was about $300 worth of dyes. And I started researching lots of YouTubing to find techniques. And um, before you knew it, I just was kind of obsessed by it. You remember we were in the BNI group and I gave stuff. It was just like, hey, some people give uh, coffee cakes for gifts. I get, I'll give tie-dyes for gifts, and I've continued to do that. So, um, and, and it's gone way beyond that. Share what it's gone yeah, beyond. Yeah. Like I've, I set up um, at two different farmers markets here in Tempe over two, in two different years. I was a participant, had my big tent up and the whole thing. And the problem with that was... I think people were really interested and they liked what I was doing, but I wasn't getting enough traffic, you know, for the, to really make any money and, and make it worth your while. You've got to have so many people that are walking by, like you're familiar with the festival here in Tempe, the used to be called Mill Avenue Festival of the Arts. I'm not sure if that's still the name. They get thousands of people and they get artists from all over the world, incredible artists too, you know, if I could do a deal like that, I, I think I could probably make some money, but I'm not going to do, I'm not going to spend 10 hours to make a hundred dollars. That's kind of what was happening, you know? Right. But, right. but the good part right. of it though, was it put me in the community and people kind of saw me as the tie dye lawyer, which is not a bad brand, you know, as opposed to the cocaine lawyer or something along those lines. Right. So. <laughs> Well, well, and and you've got your and you have your you have your goods in other places as well, not just there. Talk about what you're doing over at like Sweetheart. Explain what that is. Um, yeah, so, and, um, go ahead. 
Well, SWEHA is, it's called Southwest Institute of Healing Arts. It's a local teaching school for, oh, you know, everything like from massage to, uh, to Reiku, uh, yoga, right. pretty much anything, you know, to those arts. They teach it and they have community classes. Well, they have a bookstore and it's a fairly good sized bookstore. And when I went over there a few months ago to get a massage, the, uh, the masseuse said, where did you get that tie-dye shirt? And I said, I made it. She said, oh, my God, I love it. So she said, would you consider selling it in our bookstore? And I said, sure. So I talked to the bookstore manager. And so, yeah, they're now selling. They have a, they have a section that they've given me for uh, see how it goes. It's been there about a month now. So see how it goes. I, I wouldn't mind getting into other but because I'm making it all myself. Yeah, I have to limit it. I mean, I can't provide thousands of items. I can provide dozens of items at the best, you know. So. Right. I wish I had something well, here that would of, of some of my, my better work. I made that background so that you wouldn't see my, my cluttery bookshelf that's behind it. Um, but I make a lot of stuff, T-shirts, shawls, uh, scarves, you know, things like that. Sweaters, right. sweatshirts, hoodies, you name it. So, I mean, that's that's one aspect of, of the community that you have a passion around is that um, the College of Naturopathic. Are you are you still on the board of directors for Tempe Leadership? Uh, no, that six year term ended um, last year. So my community involvement started about. I'm going to say 10 to 12 years ago, up until that point, I was really more focused on my business and I had children, you know, I have a 35 year old daughter and a 31 year old daughter during the period that they were younger, my business and being a dad was pretty all consuming. And I never really thought a whole lot about community service, but once they were grown up and um, didn't really need, you know, dad around every day, I got involved with a board called Tempe Community Action Agency. Tempe Community Action Agency is uh, provides uh, services to the underprivileged in many different ways in the community. So I was on that board for six years. From that board, it was recommended that I apply for Tempe Leadership, which I hadn't really heard much about, which is an organization that uh, each, each year a class is selected of about 20 people and you learn about the city and become really involved in the city and you learn all the different services and the players where you can fit in as a volunteer and stuff like that. So I um, kind of transitioned into Tempe leadership. And then I was president of the board of Tempe leadership about three years ago. In the meantime, when I was on the Southwest College, or excuse me, um, TCAA, I met a guy by the name of Paul Mittman on the board, and Paul is the president of Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine, which is in Tempe. Not a lot of people know about it, but it's a pretty major institution. There's only like six naturopathic colleges in the country. So being one of them is a pretty big deal. And um, he asked me if I would be on their board. So I've been on their board for about five or six years and uh, learned a lot about naturopathic medicine. You know, I started out knowing virtually nothing about it. Um, then I got 
back into the Tempe TCAA board. I'm on that board again now. And um, so I do a lot of volunteering and, you know, community service. And um, I, you know, I like, I like it because you're helping people and you're meeting tons and tons of people. What kind of an impact do those do those um, institutions make in the community specifically? So with the the leadership and the naturopathic, what kind of impact as a board do you guys move forward in the community to make an impact well, say, in, in the greater Phoenix area? Yeah. Well, Valerie, I would say that if there's any um, step that I took or fork in the road that I took was the Tempe leadership because first of all, I did learn a ton about the city of Tempe, but the second part was the people that I've met and the connections that I've made. I mean, I've really become very good friends with a ton of Tempe leadership folks. Um, most of them live in Tempe. A few just work in Tempe, but most do live here. And um, just, just get to know people so well, like the mayor of Tempe, is Corey Woods. Corey is the first black mayor of Tempe and that his, he was elected during the, you know, during the pandemic, unfortunately. <laughs> it's been a rough transition for him. But I hosted a party for Corey to raise funds and raise awareness. And um, so I just feel so embedded in the community that I don't think I would feel if I, you know, if I just continued my sort of, uh, I'll be a lawyer and a dad, but nothing else. I don't think I'd feel very connected to the community like I do now. So that's fantastic. I love that that you that you do take part in advocating for others that you believe in in the community. And I feel like in a we're in a in an age where that needs to happen more than ever when people can it's so easy for people to just sit back maybe behind a screen and type out their thoughts and feelings and just kind of spew those to the world rather than stepping in and actually getting involved and taking action. What would you say to people who are wondering, what steps do I take to to help make some change in, in, in my community? You know, for anybody that's asking that question to themselves, what would you tell them would be the first step that you would recommend? If you want to see change in your community, do this. What's that? I Well, first of all, I'd say that if your community has any sort of a... Uh, leadership or something similar organization that you know draws people from the community into a kind of a learning environment to learn about your city then that would be number one and if they don't look into starting one your chamber of commerce would be very interested if you live in a city that doesn't have anything like that your chamber of commerce should be interested in 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 that where our tempe leadership is a you know, kind of involved with the ch chamber as a division, so to speak. And um, number two would be look into the various um, uh, social services that are in your community, Salvation Army, uh, March of Dimes. Um, look into serving on, on their boards and volunteering. For example, Tempe Community Action Agency does a home meal program for seniors that are just can't get out of the home. Now, this was before the pandemic. Now, you know, other reasons they can't get out of the home. But um, so they have drivers who volunteer to take food to them every day, three meals a day. A, a driver will show up. Here's your breakfast. Here's your lunch. Here's your dinner. 
and uh, makes a huge impact because these people are eating probably better than you and me, to be honest with you. And they're eating them, they're getting good meals every day. And it's all volunteer. It's all uh, free to them through the Tempe Community Action Agency. So you can Once make a difference in a, a lot of time like I had opportunities. I totally forgot about that, but I had yeah. actually been asked. They were like short a driver one time and I was contacted and they're like, would you be willing to drop off the, and I was like, like I clenched inside. I'm like, that is like, I've never done that before. Or what if I mess it up? That was my biggest thought was what if I mess this up and somebody doesn't get their food? What if I can't find it? But I did it and it was so cool. Like I loved the feeling that I had after I went and delivered and this was years ago and it was so out of my comfort zone because, you know, and that, I guess that would be the message that I would say too, like exactly what you're saying. And you just totally jogged my memory. I had totally forgotten about that, but I remember the feeling. I remember the feeling of fear of getting out of my comfort zone and doing something that I'd never done before. And how weird is it to take food to people that I don't even know at all? You know, will they trust me? Are they going to throw rocks at me? Are they expecting me? I didn't know. And everybody was like, you'll be fine. I didn't know they were coming and all this stuff. But afterwards, it felt so good to know that I had been able to serve like that. And so I would say, even if you're, if you're, I guess I would say to somebody who looks at a situation like that and getting into leadership or, or even just stepping into learning how to better serve, just do it scared. Just go and do it scared because well, think, what you're going to uh, learn way more precedence over the fear. I think getting out of your comfort zone would probably be a good message. You know, out of that, a lot of people are stuck and there's a certain amount of fear of uh you know doing things that are different out of your your normal you do normal well but normal can also be extremely boring and extremely limited you know um yeah. i grew up i talked about growing up i i grew up with a stutter that i still have it's not a horrible stutter but i still stutter sometimes sometimes and about six seven years ago i was contacted by a company called national business institute and it goes by NBI and they do legal seminar work and they, their model is they film their webinars in a studio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin to be shown at a later date. So when they first contacted me, I was very scared about the idea of sitting in front of a camera and talking to people because who wants to hear somebody that stutters, you know, but I went in and did it. I said, sure, I'll do it. So I ended up going uh, to Eau Claire the first time, and you do those webinars filming usually with one or two other lawyers, so it's kind of a panel discussion. And then they kept asking me and asking me, and I've been doing them for six years now, and gosh, I probably have about five or six scheduled even now before the end of the year, so I'm a little bit over, over scheduled with them. But you overcome your fear, you overcome it, and just do it. And uh, you know what, if I stutter a little bit, screw it, it's okay. You know, it's the way it goes. I, I firmly believe, and I think I've said this a million times, and maybe on this podcast at least eight, but I'm like, you know, when we're perfect, it makes it really hard to be relatable because people don't resonate as well with plastic, shiny, yeah. shiny, perfect plastic. And so well, I'm glad that, that you shared because it's who you are. You're perfect. You know? You're perfect, aren't well, you? You, you, look, you? To me, you look perfect. You have to tell me what is something 
Tell me something about you that is not perfect. I want to hear it. Well, you say you're looking at me and you see perfection. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Just don't, don't look at the back of my hair. Just don't look at the back oh. of my hair. It looks a lot like a rat's nest over back in there. <laughs> Every, everybody, has, everybody has their, you know, reasons to feel that there's something wrong with me, right? I'm too heavy. I'm too thin. I'm whatever. I'm too bald, you know? And outside of the physical aspect for myself, um, like you, you, you mentioned before, you're like, you know, your head and shoulders. I've only been doing this podcast now for about just over six months, you know, is all, but yeah, that's, that's all we, I started this with a partner at the beginning of the pandemic actually like right as it was starting is when we decided let's launch this i've been dreaming about it for 10 years but you know what held me back for like 10 years was a lot of fear because i'm like who am i to have a podcast i don't know what i'm doing i don't even know how to start one and it took my partner to teach me how to start one he actually got this rolling for me and here i am today and and the first several if you go back and watch the early episodes, I think I'm pretty, I, I'm like afraid to go back, back and watch the first episodes because I'm like pretty sure I'm, I'm a pretty hot mess, but it just takes that repetition. And over time, it's me reminding myself that it is okay to fail and then stand up and do it again next time and try to be better. But even if that's a failure, stand up and do it again and stand up and do it again until you keep getting better and to keep getting better. Because I mean, that's what we do. That's how we learn. And so it, it's me like that. That is such a big part of me now that so what if it doesn't, if it's not perfect, it can be better next time. It can be better next time. Just keep doing it and it's going to get better. So. It, it won't be better next time because we've hit perfection in this one. I think you've you've maxed out. Today. There you go. Touchdown. So what was happening? What was happening with me is um, if you if you don't mind me going down this little bit of a leadership um, avenue, are we good on time? I think we've got about five more minutes. I think we're good. Okay. So go ahead. I I through Tempe leadership. I, I became really interested in the leadership idea of concept, the concept of how do people become leaders? What is it that makes somebody become a leader? Not only the desire, but the ability and things like that. So when I was president of Tempe Leadership, we, we created a, an event called Conversations in Leadership. And we had the Tempe Chief of Police as our first guest we had about 90 in attendance, so it, it, you know, it was, a, it was a, a success. And then we did it again last year, and we had a local uh, politician by the name of Grant Woods, who's the former Attorney General of Arizona. But then I decided, you know what, with this technology of Zoom, I don't need to have a whole lot of production people behind me. I don't need a huge committee. Sort of like Valerie King, I can just do this. And that's what led me to want to do my own leadership interviews and, and you know blogs like I did with John Skelton and then the next one with Dwayne Rowan who's the uh, one of the deans at, at ASU who's agreed to be my next guest because I want to be able to have these conversations in leadership that are not scripted you know 
like you and me today, just having having a conversation with a buddy, I think is so great to hear what they have to say. And that's that's my that's my avenue right now is that I want to continue to be able to locate these kinds of people that make a difference in some way or another. It doesn't have to be athletically. It doesn't have to be in education, but somebody, people who've made a difference, they're all over the place, right? The people who volunteer to deliver food for TCAA every day are making a difference. Those are the kind of people that I want to talk to. So you and I are on similar avenues, except you're better, you've had more experience, and your technical skills are better. But beyond that, we're on the same avenue. Again, I have to give 100,000% props to the gentlemen behind the scenes here that are making all of this very pretty and very possible for me right now. I can't, and yeah, and I, I love to connect you with them and share them because they are incredible. They're such a great team. Well, I would say absolutely. Your, your um, graphics really are neat. I like how you're presenting yourself the way, uh, you know, it looks professional really does yeah they do beautiful work very beautiful work i'm grateful for them all day long (laughs) anyway well thank you so much for your time lou this has been a blast i can't thank you enough for this i appreciate that um would you return the favor to me soon and i'll i'll have you as my guest um yeah i say um i i say um before because i when you this is and this is me, I'm gonna say yes, but I'm I have that clinch inside, and I'll just do it scared because talking about myself is not my favorite thing to do. But I will do it for you, and I'll do it scared. We'll get you. Out of, we'll get you out of comfort zone. That's how it's I know. I know. I love, and the reason that I told you I wanted to have a podcast for so long is because I kept as I was building a business and and doing all of the networking and I just came across all these people that were so incredible, you being one of them. And I hear the stories that you're telling and I'm like, people need to hear what I'm hearing. More people need to know what I'm learning from all of these incredible, brilliant minds and learn how they got there. I love the stories and I just felt really compelled to get these things told, even if it's only for your own family. They need to know what you've done and how you've become who you are. I, yeah. think, I think that is tremendous. Thank you. Definitely. When this is available for me to be able to watch, my kids are going to definitely watch it. I know they'll be interested because they've learned a little bit. Just by watching this, they'll learn a little bit that they, I've never actually told them. You know. So. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that to me, to me, that was the whole goal behind this. When I started listening to these stories and I would ask people as I'm sitting across the table from them um, and I would ask, do you have this written down? And a lot of them in those first interviews that I would have with people in a one to one situation um, would be much more vulnerable than people who are usually on camera. Usually are they feel too much fear to be that vulnerable. That's my goal is to get to that place, to be able to draw out that vulnerability, especially in if it's a first conversation. But um Every single one of them said, no, I don't have this written down. And that to me was the burning drive was to, you need to get these stories told because first of all, your family needs to know. And second of all, there's an entire community out there. I'm sure once they hear you, they're going to be your tribe and they're going to find that because they're going to resonate with your experience as well. So that's why this exists for me. 
That's you've okay. um, actually you've gone full circle because back to my what I do as a business, I'm a lawyer doing estate planning. And a lot of estate planning is really more legacy planning. In other words, who you are, what messages you want to pass on. Because, for example, my, my father in particular, the way he acted, the way he treated people, his attitudes towards minorities and things like that have had a lot to do with how I look at life. And so the stories and the, and the, you know, your adventures are really important to teach your, your family, your, your children and your grandchildren. And um, that's important part of life and estate planning. We want people to know that and, and to do that. So this is a wonderful way to do it. I love it. And that's why I, I another I love that you caught that because when I think about what you've done and the stories that I've heard you tell about different catastrophes that could, that could have been averted or were averted because of the estate planning that you were able to get in place for them or the lack thereof um, makes a huge difference. I've had after having conversations with you and learning different just tiny little tweaks and I'm having these conversations like with my sister with a friend or whatever and they're like they're like really I'm like yeah I learned that from my friend Lou. <laughs> Those are I'm, I'm dead serious I'm being dead serious you've made more of an impact than you know. Well we we deal with a lot of bad estate planning that when it's after the fact you know like then it's then it's massive cleanup and expensive and get the court involved and people hate each other. That's, that's mm -hmm. the result of bad planning. I can tell you the results of good planning, but they're boring because it's good. <laughs> Everybody's happy, you know, so. Anyway. Well, thank you so okay, much for I, having I, me. Really, I'm honored yeah, that you did. And I will, I will be inviting you soon to my, um, my, my show down the road, the tie dye dialogue. Thanks. I'm smiling. I'm like nervous inside, but I will say yes. You have competition. Say yes and then do it later. There's no competition. There's just community, Lou. There's just community. Well, you can be on one and I can be on the other. Don't worry about it. We'll be we'll have we'll have a good high five. It's gonna be a good time. Yes. Oh I get NBC. I'll take it. Thanks so much, Lou. And thanks so much for our listeners and our viewers. And we will see you again soon on the Valerie King show. See you later. Bye-bye.